Joshua chapter two, open up to your Bibles to these, these uh, so it makes it faster for you. Joshua chapter two, 1 Corinthians one, and Hebrews chapter 12. Joshua chapter two, Old Testament. 1 Corinthians, very first chapter, chapter one, and Hebrews chapter 12. I'll say it one more time, you can jot them down. Joshua chapter two, toward the beginning of your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter one, and Hebrews chapter 12. Now, we will put these on the screen for you as well, but I know that you like to follow along and stay with us as we're going through this series that I'm calling Breakthrough. Breakthrough is a series that we started 12 weeks ago. We've got, this is the final two weeks of our Breakthrough series. This week and next week, we'll conclude it, and then we'll launch into our Summer Bash, and then we'll head into another a different series for the month of August, which we're really excited about. Breakthrough is another way of saying revival. Every one of us needs revival in at least one area of our life. Every one of us gets off track. Every one of us have, have times where our priorities are not the way that God wants us to have our priorities. And so we need to be reminded, we need to be prompted, and we need to be put back on track again so that we can make sure that we're following God with excellence. And so what we're doing in this series is we're trying to help prepare us for or put us in the place that we can get what God wants for us, what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do to us, and what he wants to accomplish through us. Can somebody say amen? It's time that we take back what the enemy has worked so hard to steal from us. Can you say amen? Now, I think this room can participate this morning. It's time that we take back what the enemy has stolen from our families in Jesus' name. But the truth is, I believe that most Christians forfeit more than what the devil actually steals from you. We forfeit more than the enemy will ever steal from you. How? By hiding behind what I'm going to call today the shadow of shame. By hiding behind this shadow, this curtain, this, this obstruction, um, this stronghold, the shadow of shame. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning because I think the landscape of way too many of our lives and of our families is being dominated by this shadow of shame. And I'm here to tell the devil that he is on notice. He is no longer in the name of Jesus going to cause the sons and daughters of God to hide behind the shadow of shame because breakthrough is coming in Jesus' name. Breakthrough is coming for you. It is no accident. I have been praying. You can't imagine how much I've been praying that God would send just the right people. And I said, Lord, if you just send four people, may those four people be the right people that need to hear this message today. I, when I prepared this, I emailed our staff as God is my witness. I emailed them the copy of the message like I always do every, every Wednesday. And as I was crying late at night as I'm putting this, I'm finishing the touches on it, and then I emailed it to them, I said, I believe that this is a top five message of my entire ministry. I believe this has the potential to bring about life-altering change. And there's a real risk when you say something like that. It's not about performance. It's not about me giving you a good show. It's about what God's word will do in you and how it will alter your course, how it will change your trajectory, how it will impact your future and the generations that follow. Because there's too many of us that are dealing and struggling with this issue of shame. So let me, let me be very clear about something everyone has or is or everyone will struggle with shame in their lives. It's universal, nobody is exempt from this. Shame doesn't care about your bank account, doesn't care about your address, it's an equal opportunity employer. The goal of shame is to enslave every single one of us. Now I wanna help us understand at the beginning of this message the difference between guilt and, and shame. Because guilt can be good. 
Now, the weapon of guilt is not good, but guilt itself to feel guilty, yeah, that can be good. You should feel guilty if you done did something wrong. Everybody say yes, right? But shame, boy, that's, that's, not, that's not right. See, guilt says, I'm sorry for what I did. Brings that about. Shame says, well, I'm sorry for who I am. See, guilt says, it causes me to take a look at my behavior. When I feel guilty, I look at what I've done. I look at the actions, that, that, what I've caused for other people. It causes me to look at my behavior. But shame, well, shame is an indictment on my character. It attacks who I am. Guilt is a gift from God that brings about, ultimately, the goal of guilt is to bring about restoration. The goal of shame, shame is a scheme of Satan that is intended to destroy you. Shame is evil. It's utterly evil. And the Bible character that I wanna use today to help us really understand and conquer this shadow of shame that so many people are stuck behind is Rahab. And you might be very familiar with the story of Rahab, you might not. But if you are, I imagine you're gonna get something a little bit different today that might encourage you in this area. So Joshua chapter two, if you're already there, great. But if you're not, while you turn there, let me give you some context to where we're at in this story. In Joshua chapter two, the two spies have just come into the land, into the city, and this city is known as Jericho. Well, Jericho is, is, a, is a, a small community. The Israelites are getting ready to conquer Jericho. And these two spies have come into the land that are kind of scoping it out before the Israelites come in. The two spies uh, find themselves now standing at the apartment door of a lady by the name of Rahab. They came to her apartment looking for safety and help because they needed a way of escape to get out of the city. Because the gates had already closed in this fortified city. Whoops, now we're stuck and we need some help. Rahab, as the story goes, hid them uh, on her roof, underneath the thatch on the roof, so nobody could find them. And then in come the guards into her house, and where are these men at? She's like, I don't know where they went. You might go that away. <laughs> and after, the, after they left, Rahab goes up to the roof, and now she's having a conversation with these two spies that are the good guys, by the way, these two spies from the, the Israelite clan. And she's talking with them, and that's where we're gonna pick the story up in Joshua chapter two, beginning at verse Number 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. What kindness did she show them? She hid them on the roof and she didn't let the guards get them. Give me a sure sign, everybody say sign, that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men answered her, assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Turn to your neighbor and say, give me a sign. Oh, bu -bu 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 -bu. Come on, 9 a.m. You're always the ones that I can count on. Turn, look at your, you're, look, you're literally looking at your neighbor right now. So look at them again and say, give me a sign. Come on, give me a sign. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Rahab, but we do know a few things about Rahab. Number one, she was in the oldest profession known to mankind, which is prostitution. She's a prostitute. 
And, um, and so that's a problem, right? And the second thing we know about Rahab is she lived in the city, in the city that's known as Jericho. Now, you might, I don't know if you, do you have like, Am I the only weird one? When I read, I put like a picture in my mind and I'm convinced of what it is. I used to think that Jericho was a giant city. I discovered Jericho wasn't a giant city. Jericho was 1,500 to maybe 2,000 people. So it was a small city. Now, it might have been considered big in that day and age, but it's small in comparison to what, we're, what we know as a large city. Jericho was fortified, meaning it had 30 to 40 foot walls all the way around the perimeter of the city. And it had some gates. And those gates were also very fortified. On the perimeter of the wall, um, there were windows. In other words, people lived in the wall. So the wall wasn't just uh, tall, it was very thick. And there were apartments around the perimeter of the wall. It's kind of cool. And so, and so uh, Rahab actually lived in one of those, uh, one of those um, uh, apartments. Uh, Jericho, if you'll remember, is the, the city that the Israelites marched around. Uh, one time a day, six days, six days, six times around, they turned, they shouted, they blew the trumpets, and down the walls fell, and then they went and conquered the city. This is the city. This is going to happen a couple chapters later in the Bible. This is like a prelude to it. This story is. And so um, I put together a small little set here to help us uh, understand a couple things. So over here we have a window, uh, and, and over here we have a door. Everybody say yes, and just in case you can't see. You, now you know what they are, okay? So we have a window, and we have a door. And what I, what I, wanna, what I wanna help you understand is, is, is a few things about, about the, let's do the door first. The door in Rahab's apartment actually faced the city. So when the door was opened, you could see uh, the entire city of, of, of Jericho because, because it faced inside the walls. The window, on the other hand, it faced outside. The, it was on the outer part of the wall. And so when well, you didn't see the city, what you saw was the promised land. You you're with me? Ever say yes. The, 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 the door is the place that people enter into and that people go, it allows ac access uh, to all of the activity of the city. But the window allowed visual access to what was out there in the promised land. You could see outside of the city. I'm gonna put it to you this way. The, the, the door, it, it, it's, where, it's where you've been, the past. But the window, well, that's your destiny. That's where you're going. That's, that's your future. And here's what I know is I don't know if her apartment was 800 square feet or 8,000 square feet. I have no idea how large her apartment was. But I do know that she lived in the space between the door and the window. Everybody say yes. I mean, architecturally, logistically, she lived in the space between the door. And, and you live in the space between the door, your past, and the window, your destiny, in your life. And the question that I have for you is, which one are you closer to? Which one are you paying more attention to? Because you're living in the present, but is the present moving you toward your future? Moving you toward your destiny? Moving you toward breakthrough? Or is the present a noose that's around your neck? A leash that's holding you back, hostage to your past? Rahab lived in the space between. Now, I'm not talking about just a physical space, but I'm talking about a space in her mind and a space in her heart because everybody lives somewhere. And if we zoom in on your life, I mean really take a close-up in your life, a really tight picture, there are some ugly places in all of our lives. Everybody say yes. 
I mean some real ugly places. There are some places that most of us don't want anybody else to know about. Those are the places that we put behind the door. These are the things that we've done or the things that we might still be doing. And we want them behind the door. We don't want anybody to know what happens behind the closed door. These are the things that we've had done to us maybe. Uh, All of these are places that we like to keep hidden behind closed doors. But the window, man, that's, that's, that's the stuff we want everybody to see. We want everybody to know this about us, but it's behind our window. Um, uh, the window is like, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Doing good? And life is good, right? That's what we want behind the window, but behind the door, oh, it's totally different behind the door. Behind the door, it's, it's like, I did it again. I looked at those pictures. I, I talked that way to my kids. I, I, I was... I stole, I said I wouldn't do it again. And what we do is we keep things hidden behind the door that we're ashamed of. We keep things hidden behind the door. I'm such a loser is what we declare behind the door. But the window, that's where we post our, on Instagram our family photo. I mean the 78 shot of our family photo. You know what I'm talking about. You will open your eyes now and show me a smile like you mean it. Ah, post it, hallelujah, right? And so that's what we put on Facebook. And so that's our, that's our window. But the door is, and I disrespected my wife. I don't want anybody to know that. What would they think of me then? I'm so Ashamed. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning, kind of the difference? Good. Here's what I, I've come to understand. The longer we settle for living behind closed doors, the more we're under the trap of shame. So we go to church and we stand outside the door and we say, brother, it's going to be an awesome gathering today. The spirit of God is going to move in a mighty way. Chest bump, high five. But behind the door... We're just like, would you kids just shut up? We don't want anybody to see that part of us because we're ashamed of it. I'm not saying you don't discipline your kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the angle of what shame does to us. There are parts of your life that you want people to see and there are parts of your life that you want kept behind the closed door. And here's what I know. Most people have spent more of their life behind a closed door than they have an open window. That's why you forfeited more potential than the devil's actually taken from you. So when you're living in a pattern of a closed door in your life, you're living in what we're calling the shadow of shame. But when you're living in the pattern of an open window in your life, you're allowing your guilt to bring you to repentance. This is what it sounds like. And living in the, the life of an of, of open window, it sounds like this. It sounds like I'm gonna feel guilty because I did something and you're like, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? I know this is gonna be a little elementary, but I don't care, because I have the microphone and and you don't, right? And And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at somebody. If you came with somebody this morning, that's the person I'd like you to look at, but if you didn't look at somebody else at your table, I want you to just practice this. Look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Here's, here's what I know. Some of you really needed to say that. And some of you really needed to hear that. Whether it was a surrogate that you heard that from, 
it would feel really nice to hear that from the person that you need to hear that from. Some of you had, this, had the, the, the normal satanic attack on a Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, your, your kids are demonic for some reason on Sunday mornings. Uh, you, 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 know, the, the, you hit every light on the way here. Uh, you, 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 Starbucks seemed nuts when you went by this morning. You just, just wanted to have a, 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 a kind uh, a, a word with your wife, and for some reason she's gone crazy. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I didn't say it. That was, must have been the anointing. I don't know. I'm just kidding. How about this way? You want to have a nice conversation with your husband, and he's being a jerk, all right? Maybe that's, and, and, and all of that happens on Sundays, and it's all a ploy. It's all a plot against you is what it is. It's in the land of healthy relationships, though, a follow-up to, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me, that we oftentimes leave out. Now, we teach our children this when they're young, but we as adults oftentimes leave out is the second part to this. Because in the land of healthy relationships, the follow-up uh, to the question, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me, is, thank you for telling me. Yes, I forgive you. So I want you to look back at that same person and say those words, thank you for telling me, and yes, I forgive you. Can you do that? Just practice. We're just practicing. We're just giving a shot. They were just given a shot. You were just given a shot. Some of you, again, once again, you really need to say that. You need to hear it. Let me put it to you this way. Nobody has a window in their house so that they can keep the house dark. A window, its purpose is to allow light to come in. A window brings about light, but a door brings about darkness. Because when you close the door, it puts you in the darkness. And, and shame grows in dark places. And so the, the way it's received determines how it's repeated. Let me give you an example, just a parenting tip maybe. Dad, uh, especially as your kids get into the teenage years, Dad, I, I want you to know I'm really struggling with bop da beep da bop da boo And it could be anything. And the way you respond determines how it's gonna be repeated in their lives. Dad, I'm really struggling with beep bop da boop da boo And your response to them is, how dare you? I raised you better. I can't believe. What you do then is you push your teenager behind a closed door. And and are they going to bring anything to you ever again? The answer to that question is unequivocally no, they're not going to do that. Because now they don't trust you. And you've just proven that you don't trust them. Because you also have a door. And you have things that you're ashamed of that's behind the door. And so Jesus said, let he who has, uh, is without sin, let him cast the first. I'm not telling you there shouldn't be consequences. You aren't allowed to tell them how disappointed you are inside with their behavior. But with them, boy, I'm all in for you. I'm, 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 I'm championing you. There's nobody that's in your corner like I'm in your corner. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's different. When, when, you, when, you, when you deal with things in a healthy way, it brings about a healthy pattern for them. Shame is a place that says, I am horrible. Shame is a place, it's, it's not just that I did something bad. I want you to get this, it's that I am bad. And there's a big difference. It's not just I made a bad choice, it's I'm a bad person. That's what shame is. And, and what happens in life is when these little events take place, and they, they do, they have the potential of creating these giant waves, these cascades of shame in our lives. Shame is the feeling that you get when you believe that everyone knows that you are a fraud. And it causes you to go into hiding. Before you do something wrong, shame whispers, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. It's going to be okay. You're making too big of a deal out of it. Everything's going to be fine. 
And then after you do that thing that you promised you'd never do again, that thing that brings about shame into your life, shame says, why you dirty dog? You're a horrible person and everybody knows it. And you've all felt that before. We all have that in common, the shadow of shame. Shame makes you feel like a piece of clothing on a, on a sale rack that just can't get sold. You're not good enough, you're second rate, you're second class, nobody really wants you, you're worthless, you're cheap, you're discounted, you're unloved. That's how shame makes you feel. You see, I'm here to tell you that shame is a spirit. It's an evil spirit. It's like a piece of clothing that you, you put on, it wants you to wear it. And if I'm totally honest, I, I struggle with this, this spirit of shame at times in my life. I know you do too. Because we're not that far away from shame. At any time, we can turn around and look over our shoulder, and there it is. And we can go back and embrace it, and we can put that back on again, and we can start wearing and living under the shadow of shame. It's a spirit. And some people feel like, well, I've got it all together. Honestly, I don't know if there's anybody at New Life that feels that way that has actually told me that, because I would tell you you're lying, right? Um, but they feel like they got it all together. You might know somebody like that. Here's the truth. Behind closed doors, they are wasting away. Because when you pretend you have nobody to talk to, when you pretend you're deceiving only yourself and you're inflating the shadow of shame, shame doesn't just want to mess with you. Shame wants to destroy you completely. Let me get personal for a second. There are some of you, I felt like the Spirit was speaking to me as of writing this. There are some of you that don't want to go to the family reunion this summer because a cousin violated you 15 years ago. You never told anybody. You, you kept it hidden behind the door for 15 years or however long, and you've always made an excuse like, well, we're just busy or neither will come. But the real reason is you have so much shame because you've never been able to tell anybody. First of all, it's not your fault. It never was your fault. Second of all, it's not about vengeance. It's not about justice. I'm not talking about coming out so that you can blast somebody with the shotgun of your words. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about your emotional and your spiritual well-being. That's priceless. When you bring something as horrific as that out from behind the closed door and into the light, into the window, God's grace will meet you and will strengthen you and will deliver you, will heal you, and you will experience a breakthrough that is unimaginable. Shame wants you to hide behind it, sit behind the closed door so that you, you, keep, you give up hoping, you give up believing in the promises of God. Shame will keep you and prevent you from your breakthrough. Shame tries to convince you that the promises of God are like window shopping. You can look, but you could never possibly own the promises of God. Shame wants you to spend your life in this direction. But grace wants you to live your life in that direction. Shame is an instrument of the enemy, period. It's a silent assassin that is meant to destroy you. It's a quiet epidemic that is picking people off. And let me tell you, just because you've given your heart to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're immune to this condition. Shame is directly connected to, to depression, to anger, to rage, to addiction, to eating disorders, to anxiety, and to suicide. Amen. 
the ultimate angle of shame is to get you to the point that you give up hope altogether and you want to quit life. Shame says, tap out. Second leading cause of death in, in adults 18 to 25 years old is suicide. And it goes down and then it goes back up again the older we get. Shame has a ploy, a plan, a plot. Shame's plan is to bring you to the place that you are absolutely hopeless. So as I was preparing this message, I felt impressed that someone, uh, who, uh, someone would be listening that, that, that they told God once upon a time, give me a sign. God, give me a sign that you haven't forgotten me. Give me a sign that you know that I'm here. You know what I'm going through. I am your sign today. I am your sign today. God's word for you is I love you. I never gave up on you. I never stopped pursuing you. You are not hopeless. You are not, you are not on your own. Come to me. If you're struggling under the shadow of shame and it's so dark that you just want to give up and I am begging you, don't give up. You have no idea how many conversations I have with people that say they just want to throw in the towel. They want to give up. Don't do it. It's, it's, not, it's not worth it. Invite somebody in. Tell somebody in your life. You don't need to live under this weight anymore. It is a spirit that is trying to destroy you and destroy generations after you. It's time for your breakthrough. A week ago Friday, we get a call that one of our relatives in his 40s, child, took his own life. You don't have to live under the shadow of shame. Satan wants you to feel isolated, alone. But greater is he who is in you. You know what I think? I think in this story in Joshua chapter two, that's why God sent the spies to Rahab's apartment. I've said all of that about shame to get you to the place in this story that you put yourself in the story because I think that Rahab was ready to tap out. I think she was at the place, she was so overwhelmed with her shame. She had been a prostitute for decades. Every day, the customers would come in and go out of that door. And every day when they left, they would take another piece of her dignity with them. And the more that happened, the further away the window seemed to her. Her apartment grew every day because she was stuck behind the door, stuck behind the shadow of shame. And the hope that life could be different became more and more elusive. And so Rahab settled in, settled in to, to being behind the door and just confessing and believing, this is all I will ever be. Some of you know what that's like. You feel that way. This is all I'm ever gonna be. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not God's truth that is spoken over you. 
And so at just that time, God sent some spies into the city. And those spies came a-knocking on her door. I think those spies represent God. Listen, I'm a spy in your life. People call pastors uh, under shepherds. I like that phrase, or, or you know the, um, uh, you know a, a spiritual leaders. I don't know. I'm a spy in your life. And I want to be a spy for you today because, because it's time that you understand that God is about to come into your life in such a powerful way because he's tired of you sitting in the shadow of shame. He longs for you to be free. More than you want to be free, God wants you to be free. Amen. You know who other, who's another spy? I don't even know if she's in here, but another spy, I just want to give a, give a shout out to her is Pastor Trinity. Man, Trinity's a spy in your life. She, she's, she's, she's after you. She does so much around here as the executive pastor. She, she follows up on everybody. Some of y'all get text messages from her. She, she prays with you. She follows up to see where you've been. She encourages you. She inspires you. I think she pursues you. She even corrects you at times. When she gives these words up here, does anybody else besides me feel like, how the heck did she know what I went through this week? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's because she's a spy, right? It's the way God works. And so the spies break into the city in the cover of night, the doors of the city, the gates of the city had just been closed and the spies are like, crud, now what are we gonna do? Where are we gonna go? We can't get out. We were supposed to leave early and we kind of got into the whole spying thing and, and now we've gotta escape the city somehow and they were, they were I think if I was them, they, they probably started looking around and they were looking for a couple of things and the first thing I think that they were looking for was access to be able to get outside the city. There's got to be another way out. There's got to be another way. In fact, these guys were spies. So don't you think they paid attention to things? Like the details? These were detail-oriented guys. So as they're strolling into the city, they're probably looking at these giant walls going, dude, there's windows on these. The windows, windows on there. So they're walking in, and they remember there's windows on the wall. And they're probably thinking to themselves, if we can just get to one of those apartments that has a window, we can figure out a way to get out and be safe and not be killed while we're in the city. And so they, they, we just got to get to one of the windows. I think access is what God is looking for in your life as well. This, just like the spies, God is looking for access into your life. See, this story isn't just about Rahab. Rahab says it. This story is about her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, and all who would belong to them. Amen. See, God wants to have access. <laughs> Maybe you're in your just messed up, dysfunctional family for a reason. Maybe God wants access to your family through you. Amen. Come on now. Oh, snap. Maybe you're in that job that you really don't like, that you really aren't happy in, and you really long to get out of, but God is like, I want access to your boss, to your customers, to the employees that you work with. I want access to those people, and so I'm putting you in that position. I don't know. Maybe God is actually working together these things for good in your life. The second thing the spies are looking for is they're looking for someone they can trust. Amen. So looking for access and someone they can trust. These guys have never been in this city before, ever. They're outsiders, so their logic, and it's not really logic to me, but this is their logic. Their logic is, we've got to find somebody we can trust. So let's find somebody that nobody can trust. We've got to find somebody we can trust, so let's find somebody that nobody can trust. That's almost exactly what God says in his word about us. 
1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse number 27. If you'll read along on the screen or you can look in your Bibles, check out, check out what Paul says. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You know what I get from that? God is also into shame. What? I thought you said God was into guilt. And like it makes us feel guilty so that it brings us to repentance. Yeah, but God's into shame in a whole different way. God is into shaming shame. Yeah, that's pretty good. Somebody else need to let that resonate for just a second. God is into shaming shame. If you've been overlooked and you're sitting in the shadow of shame, God is highly attracted to you. You're like, I would feel like he'd be repulsed from me because I'm stuck in this pattern that is, seems pretty evil and wicked. God is attracted to you. How do I know that? Because when God's glory comes through you, if you are proud, you're gonna think, well, I, I did pretty good. I did it myself. But if you're struggling with shame, you're gonna know that it was all God and none of you in the name of Jesus. Uh, quick question for you. How did these men know that Rahab was a prostitute? How, how, did, how did they know that? They'd never been to the city. They didn't know anybody in the city. They're hiding in the darkness of the night. When you consider all of these things, I think logic would say, and I think this will make sense to you, when they were locked in the city and looking for a place to get out, I think they probably prayed to God. And I think the prayer probably went something like this. God, God, give us a sign so we know where to go. You ever done that before? God, give me a sign so I know where to go. God, show me the right way. I don't know what to do. Let me know which direction to go. What are the options? Give me a sign. You ever heard of the red light district in a city? Sure, yeah. Red Light District is a CD district. It's a district where a lot of prostitution takes place. I discovered in my research this week that the, there was a red light district, if you will, uh, to the city of Jericho. And it kind of goes back, it kind of goes back to, to, to quite a bit of history. See, in those days, prostitutes would advertise that they were open for business. And the way that they would advertise that they were open for business is they would take a, a red cord and they would hang it on their front door. And then clients, customers, whatever you wanna call them, would know that, well, that's the sign. That's where a prostitute lives, and prostitute is open for business and available. The spies were coming through, and they prayed, presumably, God, give us a sign, and they see on the outer wall one of the apartments has a red cord and they take that to be the sign and so the spies go and they go to the door and they knock on the door and she comes to the door and she answers the door and when she answers the door uh, she's expecting these to be the first clients first customers of the night but that's not who they are so she agrees to help them. She invites them in and they strike up this agreement and through this conversation. She re recognizes, hey, everybody in the city is afraid because we all know that we've heard about the Red Sea splitting. We've heard about the conquering that you guys have done. You're on your way to take this city and there's just 1,500 of us, but there's 800,000 of you and we know that this is coming and you're in camp just eight miles down the road and we know you crossed over the Jordan and we're freaked out right now and I just need you to know you need help and I need help. So they struck up this agreement together as 
it says in Joshua chapter two, if you'll go back to verse number 17, man, I'm having a good time this morning. I hope you're having a good time. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. I hope you got that. She knows she's got to get these men out through the window. There's no other way out. That's the agreement. I got to get these guys out because I want them to save my family. I want them to save, save my life. But, but it's a long drop. I told you it's 30 to 40 feet. That's a, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't just fall down, tuck and roll. They need to, she has to lower them down. What does she do? She takes the sign that has represented all of her shame and she uses it as a tool of salvation Amen. to lower these guys down. It, it doesn't end there though. The, the story has more punch to it. She agrees to take the same red cord to, and to attach it, she agrees that she's going to attach it to the window uh, so, so that they can see. So she puts the red cord, she hangs the red cord on the window after they've escaped. That's the sign that she has used for decades for the business, the sole proprietorship that she is involved in. That to, provides for her for all of her resources, for food and, sh and shelter. She agrees to take that sign and hang it on the window so that her entire family could live. And it doesn't just get hung on the window for a few minutes. It's a few hours, and then a day, and then two days, and then three days. And it's a series of days that she leaves that scarlet cord in the window as a sign to the Israelites that this is the house that needs to be spared. Now I imagine during that time, there probably had to be a point where she's like, you know what, dude, the bills have gotta be paid. Groceries have got to be bought. That's what shame does. Shame manipulates us to where we think we have to go back behind the door. We have to stay in the shadow of shame even longer. But thank God she didn't succumb to that. She didn't return to the shadow of shame. And then she hears it. Oh, the rumbling of almost a million Israelites cresting the hill they've crossed the jordan they've been encamped eight miles away and they're getting ready to come now into the promised land and she starts to get excited she starts to get amped up inside of her because she knows wait a minute every neighbor everybody as you look outside the door and you're looking at the city is freaked out there's two thousand people that are in pandemonium right now but not her not her house. Her house is standing solid. Her house is standing firm. Her family's gonna be safe. And she finally, at this stage in her life, decades after being in the shadow of shame, starts to dream again. Starts to see something that is different. Starts to begin to realize that there is a destiny for me, that there is a future for me, that there is a hope for me, that there is a power for me, there is protection for me. She starts to live through the lens of the window instead of living through the barrier of the door.
She gets excited. Why? Because the red cord, the very same sign that symbolized her shame, her sinful profession, has now become the sign of salvation, not just for her. This is what we can get. Some of you need, you're like, I could never come out from behind the shadow of shame because I'm not worthy. Stop. If you don't come out from behind the shadow of shame, you're also professing that your family, your lineage, the generations beyond you are not worthy either. She took a bold step to come out from behind the shadow of shame, and now joy is filling her heart. Hope is welling up inside of her. See, God wants to flip the script in your life, and I declare that shame has ensnared you for so long, but that very same shame is gonna catapult you to higher levels than you can ever imagine in Jesus' name. If, if, if you will bring it out into the light, what benefit does a pastor possibly have to try to manipulate and coerce people to tell their deepest, darkest sins? Nothing. It's, it's not about that. It, I don't even need to know. But you need to bring it out of the darkness and into the light so that God can heal you. He wants to flip the script. How do I know that God will flip the script, that God can? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 12, as I begin to bring this sucker to a close. Hebrews chapter 12, let's take a look in the New Testament, and I want, I want to point something out to you. In, in, verse, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, let me just summarize. It says that we, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there are a bunch of heroes of the faith that are championing you, that are cheering you on. You don't even know it right now. They're going, go, keep going going. You can do this. Don't give up. Don't stop. Persevere. I know that all these things are working together for good. They are. Who are these people? Well, these people are mentioned the chapter before in Hebrews chapter 11, which we affectionately call the faith hall of fame. If you're a hall of famer, it's kind of a big deal, right? And in the faith hall of fame, who are these people? Well, the Bible mentions these people are like Noah. Did you know Noah is up there cheering you on? He's like, dude, I know what it's like when everybody thinks you're an idiot. When you're going upstream, I told him it's going to rain. It had never rained before. But you listen to God and don't listen to man, right? And Abraham, Abraham who gave up everything he had, the riches of this earth, and now he, his seed became as, as many as the sands and the seashore. Um, uh, Isaac and Jacob. How about Joseph? Joseph is up there cheering you on. He's like, I know what it's like to be rejected by my family. I know what it's like to be imprisoned when you didn't do anything wrong, when it wasn't your fault. I know what it's like to suffer and to go through and endure abuse in your life. Moses is up there. Moses is the one who led them uh, out of, I know what it's like when people won't listen to you. I know what it's like when people grumble and you're trying to give them the right advice. You're trying to lead them in the right way. But I know what it's like to parent <laughs> because I done had like 1.4 million of these suckers, right? They didn't want to listen to anything I said, but I'm trying to coach him going the right direction. And, and then it lists another person in verse number 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You mean to tell me that Rahab who lived in the shadow of shame and was a prostitute for decades, she could become a hero uh, in the faith hall of fame 
of Almighty God? The answer is yes, because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two, last verse we're gonna read, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, watch this, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You mean God can use a person like Rahab who lived in the shadow of shame? Yes, he can. That thing that you've been hiding, that, that thing that you hoped would never be discovered, by the way, it is right now. The Holy Spirit is bringing it to your mind, not to make you feel guilty, not to make you feel bad, but because God is sick and tired of you being so sick and tired of sitting behind that door that he wants you to finally be free from all that stuff that happened to you or happened through you. That thing that you hope would never be exposed, God wants to flip the script and he can deliver us all from the shadow of shame. There have been a lot of things I believe that have been spoken over your life. And you've said them, you've repeated, I'm dumb, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm lazy, I'm unloved, I'm alone, I'm abandoned, I'm betrayed, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer, I'm a killer, I'm hopeless. But there's the only word that God wants you to repeat and that's this word, I am loved. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? The Israelites are coming over the crest of the hill, moving in to take the promised land and it all starts with Jericho and the Jericho citizens have no idea they're going to march around for a few days they just think they're coming to just dominate and they're really scared I mean what's the what's the ratios here I mean, you got 2,000 people and you got like a million people it's like the ratios are bad right um, and and so it's 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 overwhelming to them you can hear a million people marching and running toward you you could probably feel it in the ground uh, it's, it's like a Southern California earthquake. You know what I'm talking about, right? It, and they're coming at you, directly at you. You're in their, their sights. I imagine there was, a, there was probably some elbowing going on. Hey, guys from the Israelites. Hey, guys, uh, don't you remember Joshua told us and, and Caleb told us that we're, uh, we're supposed to make sure we don't kill anybody that's inside the, the, the apartment that has the, the red cord? And they crest the hill and, hey, there it is. Y'all see that? That's the red cord. And I wonder if maybe they had a memory then of 40 years ago. Because 40 years ago, their daddy or their granddaddy had to, had to kill a, a, a spotless lamb and take the blood and rub it over the doorposts of their very homes that they lived in. And, and I wonder if that memory came to them. I don't know. Maybe it did. And they, it's, now they're seeing this. And there's a reason. There's a reason everything's in the Bible. A scarlet red rope. It's there for a reason. And it's all to point us well, to the scarlet red stains that were lifted up on the hill called Golgotha at Calvary some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for your soul, for my soul, so that we could be forgiven of all this stuff, that the shame that has ensnared us for so long is not allowed anymore to ensnare us, not allowed to hold us back. We don't have to live facing the door. We can live marching toward the window. We, we don't have to window shop. We can know that the promised land is available to us. The devil comes to steal and kill and destroy, John 10, 10. But Jesus came, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it to the full. You might have the promised land that I'm talking about. Promised land isn't just about heaven, although that's a big part of it. But that's abundant life here on earth 
today living in forgiveness. See, there's a sign. There's a sign. The sign has been transformed. The sign that was the sign of shame became the sign of salvation. The sign that was the sign of shame, uh, uh, the cross, has now become something we wear with splendor because it symbolizes salvation. God is a flip the script type of a God. And he wants to help you come out of the shadow of shame in your life. Someone say amen. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes? Please keep them closed. Bow your heads in honor of Almighty God. Let me just pray for you. God, many people can't even look themselves in the mirror because of some of the things they've done. Because of some of the things that have been done to them. They don't, can't go there. We don't want to settle though, God. So I declare that as new lifers, we don't want to settle to live behind the shadow of shame anymore. We don't have to. Not because you're working it out. Not because you're, you're figuring it out. Not because you've got a plan that we might possibly have victory. But because you already paid the price. Because it's already been done. Because you pronounced it on the cross that it is finished. We no longer have to live this way anymore. And so today, God, we give it all to you. For that's where we discover breakthrough in our lives. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around, I am confident, as sure as I'm alive today, I am confident that there are folks that are struggling with shame in your life. And Satan is trying to use it. In fact, he's trying all he can do in this gathering to distract you and to keep you from listening to these words because these words have the power of penetrating deep inside of you to get to that core thing that is holding you back. You wonder why you're not experiencing revival? You wonder why you're not experiencing your breakthrough? It's because you're stuck in shame. You can't possibly get to the window if you're kneeling behind the door. It's time that we get up. It's time that we confess. It's time that we acknowledge. It's time that we repent. But it's time that we allow the presence and the grace of God to overwhelm us, to help us, to meet us where we're at. Now, I'm not, not nobody's judging you. I'm the first one to acknowledge. And I told you that. But I wonder if you would acknowledge it as well. And so when I count to three, if you have struggled with shame in any area of your life, whether it be past or whether it be current today, I don't, doesn't, I'm not going to ask you to tell. You don't tell anybody. But I'm asking you if you're struggling with an area of shame in your life and you know it's holding you back, why in the world would you not want to take the antidote? It's right before you. Just take it. It will make you, it will help you, it will empower you to not just feel better, but to be better. And the antidote is the grace of God. And so I'm just going to ask you on the count of three, if you struggle with any area of shame, just keep your eyes closed because nobody needs to know. But if you're struggling in an area, I'm telling you, Thursday night, almost everybody stood up. If there's something in your life that just, you know it's holding you back, and it might be that final thing that's going to allow you to experience a breakthrough like you can't even imagine, then we're going to pray for you today, and we're going to expect that, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. When I get to three, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm asking you to take a stand. Stand up for Jesus. One two and three stand up don't even hesitate don't even look around just stand up and say okay God that is me I don't want to live in the shadow of shame anymore it's torturous it's hurting me it's holding me back it's keeping me from your best God no more but instead today God I confess to you that you are Lord of all in all through all and for all and today God I invite your presence into my life 
to transform me, to change me, and to renew me. God, would you help me in Jesus' name? Help me in Jesus' name. Now, part of dealing with shame is surrendering it to God. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Just lift your hands up to Jesus in an act of surrender and begin to tell him as we take about 30 seconds, begin to tell him, God, I surrender this to you. I give this to you. You're not angry with me. You're not mad at me. You don't hate me. You're pursuing me. You forgive me. You receive me. And I right now surrender this area of my life to you. I am stepping out from behind the door. No longer going to be held back by the shadow of shame. No longer held back by the tactics and the tools of the enemy. God, I am pursuing white hot after you. I'm going to the window. Hallelujah. I'm going to the window in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, God, we declare your blessings. We declare your, your victory and we declare your miracles. God, you're a good and gracious God. Now I'm going to ask for everybody in the house to stand up if you would, please. Allow me to bless you before you go today. God, you're a good God. We love you. We thank you. We bless you. And we are humbled by the way that you pursue us with an everlasting love. May God be praised in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen and give the Lord a hand clap. Can you do that this morning? Come on now. Come on now. Come on now, new life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. We're not living there anymore. When you leave here, the enemy's going to try to put you right back behind that door. You just declare victory in Jesus' name. That's what I do when people start talking out of turn. Do you do that to the devil? Don't you say another word. You Whatever. Greater is he who is in me than he was in this old world. God bless you, friends. We love you. Pray for us at camp this week. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, 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 amen.